Hey, and welcome to yet another episode of The Reenactor's Corner. In this episode, we will be talking about the ethics of buying and selling reenactment gear. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Reenactors Corner Podcast. This is Chris here with Lassa. How are you doing today, Lassa? Uh, I am doing fine, apart from that my hand is hurting like hell, considering just getting rid of it, honestly. Uh, well, it would be cool if you uh, replaced it with a hook. You know, you could be like a stereotypical, uh, you know, Nazi officer from a movie. Or I could uh, replace it with, for example, a... Um, a wooden hand so I can be the officer from the Stalingrad movie nice you could replace it with a like an iron fist and you could be Gutz von Berlichingen or you could just replace it with like a Panzerfaust yeah Panzerfaust really means armored fist so I mean it, you know it's like a hand right what happened to your hand uh, did you uh, did a helmet fall on it something cool <laughs> like that <laughs> no uh, over the day it has just been gradually aching inside um so yeah i don't know uh probably gonna disappear in the morning i hope stamping too many sold book here maybe <laughs> or uh <laughs> writing too many felt post letters yeah uh both of those i do those simultaneously nice. i have four good, pens in one good. hand so today's episode is one i'm kind of excited about we are going to talk about the ethics of buying and selling reenactment gear to and from other reenactors which is uh something i have a lot of experience in and uh, I think there's a lot to talk about there. Oh, absolutely. The joys so, of a lot online of this stuff, purchasing. Yeah, it, it's it's mostly going to be online purchasing stuff. The, uh, you know, the, a lot of this stuff is going to be common sense, and a lot of it is going to be stuff that pertains to buying and selling like anything online almost. But um, I think a lot of people who maybe are, are new to reenacting right or who are like coming in i don't know if you haven't participated before in a hobby where you need stuff that you cannot get on amazon or you know for the most part or at walmart right um you're gonna have to buy stuff from other reenactors um you know a lot of this stuff that you are going to want to use some of it might be original a lot of it is no longer going to be manufactured or available and so you have to buy it on the secondary market and that can be like a weird place to try to do business so we're going to talk about some of the ins and outs of uh you know what the expectations are and how people are supposed to do that sort of thing and where do we start uh, with this well, uh, I guess, first of all, I'll just say I have bought and sold a tremendous amount of reenactment gear over the last many years. Um, a lot of my kit came to me as used stuff. I encourage people to try to get used stuff when they can. It's cheaper than buying it new. Sometimes it's already like broken in, worn in, you know, it looks like used and, and more realistic in that way. Um, and it, it's cheaper, right? It's a, it's a, just a good way to save money. Um, I have never, thinking about it, I've actually never been like ripped off in one of these deals. I have never um, paid for a reenactment item that I didn't later receive. Um, 
you know, I had some that like took a long time. I had some that were annoying, but I never just straight up didn't get anything. And um, I have, have had some friends who I reenacted with who decided to change their impression, do something different, and they didn't have time to sell any of this stuff on the internet themselves. So they asked me to sell it for them. And, uh, you know, in the process of doing that, I've just I've sold a real lot of this stuff and I've had a lot of. I guess happy customers. So I definitely have some experience in uh, in this aspect of this thing. And I know Lasa, you also have uh, sold stuff. I've seen your for sale posts of stuff, extra stuff that you've had. Yeah, I have. Uh, I wouldn't say I've sold like a tremendous amount of stuff uh, for reenactment specifically, but I've I've sold quite a few stuff online. So so. As you said, I have never never been ripped off myself. Um, of course, there's the annoying and uh, deals that take forever to to uh, be able to get done, basically. Um, but I've never I've never not received uh, what I've ordered. Yeah, I think it's important to say that at the outset because we are going to be talking about some like worst case scenarios and when things go wrong. And I don't want anybody to get the impression that like you know this is super risky. I mean, this um, you know there are some ways to avoid being taken advantage of and, and getting involved in a bad deal. And we can talk about that later, but on the whole, like buying stuff from other reenactors is a good way to get stuff and selling stuff that you don't need anymore to other reenactors is like a good way to get rid of stuff that you don't need. It's certainly better than just throwing it in the trash. Oh yeah. Uh, reenactment stuff do hold a tremendous uh, value even after it's been used. So, um, yeah, it's definitely worth selling stuff. I remember when I started reenacting, that was like one of the things that was like a sales pitch of my first unit. You know, like that was like a selling point when they were telling you, like, you know, when I was looking to buy my first kit, they're like, okay, this stuff is going to be really expensive. It's a pretty significant outlay of cash to buy everything that you need and to do this stuff. But. Um, a lot of the stuff that you're buying is going to hold its value. So when the time comes for you to get rid of it, or if you decide you don't want it anymore, or you want to get something new, it's not like it's money down the toilet. You know, you can get money back from it. And I have certainly found that to be true. I guess, you know, first of all, let's just start with some general rules, right, that apply to everybody, no matter who you are. And the number one thing that I would point to is that a deal is a deal. And like, this is, I think, an old-time, kind of old-fashioned value that, I don't know, some people would be like, oh, you know, people today, like, they don't have this value. I don't know. I think that this is, like, still extremely relevant today where if you say that you are going to sell somebody something and they commit to that deal, it's now your obligation to complete that deal. And as a buyer, if you tell someone, I'll take it, that's it. You now own that thing and you have the obligation to pay the seller, you know? And uh, look, there have been times that I have regretted making that commitment to buy something. There have been times when, like I remember one example specifically, I told somebody I would buy a great coat from them. And then I asked them what the shipping cost was and I didn't realize that they were like in England and the shipping cost was gonna be, was gonna be like more than $100 just for the shipping. But I committed to buy this thing, and so I sent him the money, you know, because a deal is a deal. And that's, like, I think a really important 
you know, kind of value to hold when you go into these kind of deals when you're dealing with other people and not with like businesses. I mean, I think it's an important thing in general, but especially if you're making deals with your fellow hobbyists, once the deal is set, then you have to honor that deal. But would you say it's okay to um, to um, to say like I'll take it, um, but like uh, have a little um, like you you need to make sure the shipping cost doesn't kill you. To say that uh, I know you well, take think, it, but uh, I think you know what I should have done in that situation was I should have said, "Hey, I'm seriously interested in this. Um, where are you located, and what is the shipping cost?" You know, but as as far as I'm concerned, the words "I'll take it" have like almost a magical significance. Where once those words are uttered, that's it. You know, and I have in the past when I've sold stuff, put in the description many times. First, I'll take it gets it, because I've had people contact me and they want better pictures or they want to ask questions about the shipping cost or whatever. And the reality is, is that probably. 50 or 70 percent of the time the people who ask a bunch of questions don't actually wind up buying the item they are just kicking the tires or they don't like the answer about the shipping or whatever it's going to be where and if i'm having a conversation like that with somebody where they're having me go back and forth and answering questions and somebody else pops into my messages and says i will take this then it's it's theirs you know obviously um you can make other deals with people, right? You'd be like, I really want this. Can you hold this for me? I just want to make sure that the shipping cost is okay. I just want to make sure that, you know, I, I just want you to send me one more picture to make sure that it's my size or measure it for me, right? Or whatever it's going to be. Um, and if the seller agrees to that, then he has to, he has to honor that. But uh, most of the time for me, the item is in play until someone commits to buy. And then when they commit to buy, it's like game over. It's done. That's what I. That's the best way to do this stuff. I think. Yeah, I um I agree with that. It's the I have the same experience myself, especially with that. The people who ask many questions are usually the ones who don't end up uh, buying it. I had a guy call me out one time on the internet because he asked me for better pictures, and I told him I would try to send better pictures after work. Um, and then somebody else in the meantime chimed in and said, "I'll take it." And this guy made a post and he was like, look, I asked this guy for pictures. He said he would send them later and then he sold it to somebody else. That's not fair. Uh, so I responded to his complaint by showing the photos that I had originally put in the listing. And I, I said, here are the pictures that I had posted originally. And this person asked me for better pictures. And I like put it to the group like, could I have taken better pictures of this thing? It was a, a badge. And I had taken a clear close-up photo of the front and back of the thing. And it's like, what what more could I have shown? You know what I mean? And I don't think that guy was serious about buying it at all. I think he was trying to buy some time to figure out how to come up with the money or something. You know, and it's like, yeah. I don't think he well, was I mean, serious. Um, you could take a photo of it uh, on a bag, a photo of it next to a good uh, scenic view. Right, right, like... A better photo like I I don't know like there's a limit to the ability of my phone or you know I took it at this time this was years ago so I was using like a digital camera which was like a decent camera you know and it's just like and the guy actually apologized he's like you're right like I don't really know what I was thinking or something you know some lame thing but it's like you know I can understand 
somebody be asking for better pictures if the the pictures look like they were taken underwater with a potato or whatever but you know i, I also have people <laughs> uh look i i could tell endless stories about tire kickers people who aren't like serious buyers um people who say they're going to mail a money order like half the time nothing ever comes in the mail you know i'll I'll, t I'll let people pay me a money order, and I have some people that have bought things for me many times who always pay with money orders, and I'm always happy to deal with them. But a lot of times, when the time comes for the person to like get that money order and actually have the agency to go to the post office and drop that thing in the mail, like it seems to fall through the cracks for some people, you know? Yeah. Um, no, I agree. And yeah, like like I say, there's like. Um, I've had people say, I'll take that. I'll take everything that you're selling. I'll take everything you have for sale. Please give me a list of everything. Okay, well, here's a list of everything. Okay, well, I want to buy this wholesale, so I want to get the price down. And it's like, you, you committed to buy the stuff at the price that I was asking for it already. And in most cases, those people never pay at all, right? The whole thing is just some kind of weird energy vampire situation. <laughs> most energy buyers vampire? are not like that. <laughs> Yeah, you never heard that term where it's just like this person is draining my energy. You know what I mean? And, and getting some kind of yeah. getting something from that. They're they're sapping my life force, and they themselves are profiting from this in some way. I mean, that's the only thing I can. You know, I sometimes I used to run a uh, buy sell trade page on Facebook before it got eventually deleted by Facebook, and I would delete people like that definitely every month, and sometimes even every week, where people would come to me and they'd be like, "This guy." You know, this guy is asking me all these questions. And, and sometimes I get, like, messages the same day from, like, two different sellers about the same guy. And it's just like, I don't know if it's, like, a, a mental case or, like, somebody in prison who just is bored and wants to talk. I mean, I don't, I don't know what motivates some of these people to just ask these weird questions and then never actually buy it. No, I, I, I have uh, dealt with a couple of those myself. Um, it is... It is annoying, and if there's one tip to the listeners, don't be that guy. That's a good point. Don't be that guy. How do you like avoid being that guy, right? There have been times that I have been really kind of interested in something, but like not really interested enough to buy it. And I will maybe message the seller with a question about it, and I'm almost hoping that he says something that pushes me in one direction or another you know but that's like few and far between usually i think when you see something and you see the price and you see the pictures you kind of know right away whether this is something that you're going to buy at that price or not or if you want to make an offer on it or whatever you want to do right like you generally don't have to make it some kind of like like look the seller is trying to sell an item he's not like trying to be your friend you know like maybe you guys will will be friends somewhere down the road but like that's not what the purpose of the sales ad is to like elicit conversation with strangers he wants to do business and when you go into these things that's how you should be looking at it business it's a business deal you know be professional about it yeah another uh, like rule that i would tell people that i think is an important general rule never try to like ruin someone else's deal after their deal has been made that is just like totally unethical and in poor form and that can go for a buyer or a seller. And I'll like give you an example. Like, um, if you see a guy, someone has posted something, and maybe they don't know what they have, or maybe they just want to get it out of the house or whatever. But they've posted an item that you would love to have, and they've posted it at a super cheap price. And somebody else has already commented, "I'll take it." Um, well, you know, you can feel 
jealous that you missed out, you can feel frustrated that you missed out. But if you then comment or message the seller and say, hey, I'll give you uh, three times what the asking price was if you'll sell it to me instead of the guy who already committed to buy it at the price you were asking, that's like a really dirty move. That's really dis dishonest. And I would tell people that's like, that's solely unethical in my opinion. I think that's uh, pretty uh, unethical, as you said. Um, I mean... From a seller's standpoint, I can kind of understand it. Like, it is tempting to, like, uh, get three times more money, but uh, you've already committed to sell to the guy who said he'll take it. You know, this this is a thing that works if you're a seller and, and if you're a buyer. You know, that um, once you've got to deal with somebody, that should be regarded by everybody as a, a concluded piece of business. Um, I have had people try to ruin deals where I was a buyer by offering people more money. The, the other thing, the other way that people will try to ruin deals is let's say I sell something for $100 and uh, somebody says that they'll take it. And then someone else swoops in and says, hey, you know, I have the same thing and I'll sell it to you for $50 if you want. It's like, get the heck out of my deal. Find your own buyer. Mm. You know what I mean? I took the time to advertise this thing for sale, to take the pictures of it or whatever. And I posted it online and I found a buyer. Make your own sales ad. You've got one that you'll sell for 50 bucks. Fine. Go find a buyer. But don't try to like woo the guy that I made a deal with. You know what I mean? That's, that's unethical. Yeah. It's just a slimy thing. You know, it's, you wouldn't want anybody to do this to you. Nobody would want this to happen to them. And so once, once a deal happens, all you can do is, is walk away. And, you know, if you're really serious about getting an item that's sold to somebody else, Maybe ask, tell the, uh, tell the seller, hey, I missed out on it. I know that you already sold it to the other guy. Please let the other guy know if he wants to sell it, I'm an interested buyer. You know, and probably the other guy's going to keep it, but maybe he won't. You know, maybe he'll wind up getting it for the same price if the other guy gets it and it's not what he wanted or whatever. You know, yeah. you got to be fair about all of this stuff. Yeah, I agree about that. You know, I guess we could talk about like when you are selling something or like how do you sell something? You know, what are the obligations that you have to the buyers like in this process? And uh, I guess the big thing that I would tell anybody is once you sell an item and you get that this, the payment from the buyer, this item now becomes the buyer's property. And it is now your duty and responsibility to get the buyer's property to him. Like that means... As soon as you possibly can, you have to make it a priority to go to the post office and mail this thing or do whatever it is that you worked out with the guy. You know, If you can't do that, if you're in a situation where, well, look, I can only go to the post office once every three months, then you, you shouldn't be selling this item because you know selling it, when you're offering it for sale, you're basically saying, if you buy this thing, I will mail it to you in a reasonable amount of time. And if, if you can't do that, then... You know, you it, you can't be doing business this way. Yeah, or explicitly write it in the sales post. Sure, be like, look, I am out of town. You know, I'll I would sell this thing, but I mean, I, I even that I think the more time elapses between when you get the money and when the thing ships, like the more potential there is for some kind of a problem. But be honest as well, if you're a seller and you know that you can't go like in the next three days, then say like, hey, I'm going to ship this like next Thursday. Is that, is that okay to you? Maybe. Totally, right. Like maybe even like if the buyer's like, I'll buy it, right? But you realize that you have like, you know, let's say you sell, you offer something for sale on a, on a Monday and you're hoping to sell it 
by Friday. And then that Friday, you're going on vacation for a week, you know. And no one buys the item, and you kind of forget about the ad. And then on Friday, right before you leave for vacation, you get a message from someone wanting to buy it. You know, before you even take their money, you should tell them, okay, uh, we, I will sell this to you, but I'm leaving for vacation today. I won't be able to ship it while I'm on vacation. I'll be back on this date. You know, I can ship it the day after I get back at the latest. Is that acceptable to you? And then yeah. they can decide. But you've got to give them the option. Exactly. Because when I when I buy something, and I think this is true for pretty much anybody, um, buying like reenactment gear from another reenactor online, the expectation is that they are going to be able to ship it like within the next few days. You know, maybe like not necessarily that day, maybe not even the next day, but, uh, you know, like that week, certainly, you know, and if it's going to take a week, that's that's not what people are, are kind of counting on when they're doing these kinds of deals. Yeah, I mean, as a buyer, I kind of expect things to be shipped immediately because as soon as I send the money, I'll be sitting on my doorstep waiting for the item to arrive. Yeah, I mean, that's its like whole other thing, the agony of waiting for stuff to come in the mail. That's like a reality that I think every reenactor will eventually face is like the you know unbearable waiting for things to arrive in a mailbox in like a hobby where... Buying stuff via mail order is basically a requirement of participation, right? I mean, we could almost do a whole other episode about that concept. <laughs> yeah. You know, this year, 2020, we've had these shipping delays because of the pandemic. And, uh, you know, my, my Facebook, where I'm friends with a lot of reenactors, is just full of people sharing their experiences, talking about how long it took parcels to arrive, you know, and I've, I've actually kind of enjoyed seeing this because I know that I'm not alone in having stuff that's delayed and it's encouraging to see other people getting stuff eventually, you know. I mean, placing an order and waiting months for it, that is, that is agonizing. It can be super agonizing. I mean, it can really almost ruin an item sometimes, like ruin the joy of an item. If you buy a relatively inexpensive thing or something that you need for an event that's coming up and then it takes months to arrive, it's like, I don't know. It's, I, if, sometimes I think if I had known this would take so long, you know, I wouldn't have bought it. But what are you going to do? Buying something that you need for an event, you buy it in a very reasonable amount of time uh, prior to the event. And then... The week to the event comes up. It's this weekend. Package still hasn't arrived. You're waiting. Friday comes. You're about to leave. Still hasn't come. So you leave without it. You arrive back. And on Monday, it's there. That is the very worst. <laughs> it's the, the worst, worst. The worst feeling of reenactment. Right. It's like better if it doesn't come for another month. Yeah. Than if it like is there when you get home. From the event where you need it. Yeah, like on Monday, like the day after, it's like, ah. Uh. Yeah, I had a good situation where I, I knew that I was having boots come from Germany last year, and they did arrive the day that I was leaving. So it was like I was actually <laughs> applying leather treatment to the leather while I was in the car on the way to the event. I've almost been there. Uh, prior to the Belgium event, I did a uh, order from Nestov actually uh, together with a guy in my unit because we desperately needed new boots because the old boots we had were torn to shreds and we ordered it like two months in advance and it didn't show up at all but like three days prior to leaving for Belgium the boots arrived that's good I was agonizing but it worked out 
you know, just getting back to like how you have to behave when you're when you're selling this stuff. Uh, you know, it's it's on you to describe this item properly and to show good photos. A lot of potential heartache can be avoided if you give an accurate description of what you're selling and give people enough photos and quality enough photos so that they know exactly what they're buying. Um, if there's some problem with this and you conceal it, that's like totally unethical and the buyer's not going to be happy. He's going to complain. He's going to want his money back. You know, it's, it opens up a whole can of worms. It's not worth it. Yeah. Be honest. Be honest. And then, you know, take a look at the thing before you ship it and imagine yourself like buying this thing and opening the box and like, how would I feel, uh, you know, you want the thing to be kind of like clean and ready to go, right? Like maybe like, uh, I don't know, lint roll the dog hair off of it or just air it out or wash it if you can, right? Before you yeah. sell it so that the person is getting something that's like usable and not something that they, they were excited to get and then they take it out of the box and it smells like your pets and it like requires repair or cleaning before they could ever put it on. Yeah. And also to, it's the typical eBay stuff where you see a listing for some, you know, some mass-produced uh, simple item, and it's like original, rare Stalingrad, fine battle SS combat elite. Just call a shovel for a shovel. And I guess the other thing about that is like, don't be greedy. You know, I mean get what you can get for it but like don't you know not everything that you have is gonna be um the holy grail of the third reich and don't always feel like you have to get every last nickel and every last penny out of every deal um it's better to have a happy buyer who feels like he got something at a good deal than to try to you know try to I don't know, beat somebody down or just wait around until you get the one person who is going to commit to buying this thing at an exorbitant price. It's like not, it's not a good way to do business, you know? I agree. Yeah. Another thing I'll say when I'm selling stuff, if I'm selling something that is appropriate for my reenactment group's impressions, something that another reenactor in my group can use, I will always uh, offer it to my group first. That helps me in like a bunch of different ways. For one thing, the people in my group and I are working on a reenactment project together. We have like a shared interest. What's good for one is good for everybody. And make sure every, making sure that everybody has the gear that they need is like a good way. It's good a good practice for everybody. Um, another thing is that keeping gear in the unit means that when that person goes to sell that item... Um, maybe there'll be a new person in the unit at that time, or somebody else is looking to replace something that's worn out. So you can keep good stuff within your group. <laughs> and also, you know, sometimes I'll tell people, like sometimes I'll sell something that I don't really want to let go, but I need the money or I don't need it right then. I'm not sure if I'm ever going to need it. And I'll say, when the time, if you ever decide to sell it, please give me uh, the right, the ability to buy it back. You know, please offer it to me first if you decide to sell it. And that's something that's worked out for me before, where I've sold stuff to somebody, time goes on, they don't need it anymore, and I, I kind of still wish, maybe I regret selling it, and I can buy it back. It's just funny that you say that with the unit, because I think my first pair of Gamashin ever uh, is now on its uh, seventh owner within the unit or something like that. 
That's cool. I'm surprised they've kind of lasted that long. <laughs> yeah. But that's great. They've been repaired a few times, but uh, yeah. I miss, there were some people that I used to reenact with and I miss them. Um, they've left the hobby or they do a different impression now or whatever, but like I have part of their kit still, you know, and I, and so they have, they have gone, but, uh, their boots or their helmet or whatever are still, uh, soldiers on out there in a make-believe World War II. <laughs> that is cool. Yeah. Another thing is that when I, when I sell stuff to people in my unit, I'll usually give them like a little bit of a discount. I've sold stuff that way and I've bought stuff that way where it's like, uh, here's an item. Uh, I'm going to offer this to the unit for $80. If nobody buys it, I'll post it on Facebook for anybody to buy for 100 bucks. And so it's like, I think it's just good practice to extend like a little bit, of, you know, the courtesy of a little discount to people in your own group if you can. Oh, yeah. Uh, I recently sold or I recently found some old stuff, which is like a service shirt still in a plastic bag. I had no idea I had it. Uh, also a belt, an old like cheap aluminium buckle and a few other things too and I uh, asked one of the recruits who's still trying to find gear like hey would you be interested in this if it fits you and he was like yeah and the next time we met I uh, brought it to him and it did fit and it's like you can have it for $20 which is ridiculously cheap but that's one of the benefits to like being a member of a reenactment group is that you basically have these friends or camaraden or whatever you want to call it, right? Where there are these people that are kind of working on an impression, working on a project with you, and they might have access to some stuff that they're willing to hook you up with at, you know, below market prices. And it's just, it's another way to uh, source reenactment gear and to get, and to save a little bit of money on getting the stuff that you need. Yeah. I mean, when we, when we get recruits in my group, there are guys, like, I have extra stuff. Guys in my group have extra stuff. And some of that stuff we're available, you know, some of that stuff you can borrow as loaner gear. And some of that stuff, there's there's quite a bit of things that I have that I'm not really, like, looking to sell. And I probably wouldn't sell them on the Internet because it's, like, stuff that I have in case I need it. But if I knew somebody in my group especially who needed that item, I'd be happy to sell it to them. I think it's also that you kind of feel more responsible for your own unit to look good, I guess. Well, that's it. You're like working on a project together with them. So a rising tide floats all boats. Everybody having good stuff that they need is good for everybody. I'm going to talk about the expectations that you should have when you're a buyer of this stuff. And what I would tell people is you're not dealing with Amazon and you're not even dealing with an eBay seller. You're dealing with some other guy who reenacts World War II or who used to reenact World War II or has reenactment gear for some reason, and you like need to be a little bit more flexible with sort of this hobbyist seller than you would be with Amazon or or even like I say eBay or Walmart, right? Because it's this person is just they don't have like a fulfillment warehouse. They don't have a packing department to pack up the item and ship it to you once it gets sold. They are going to have to take time out of the out of their day to go to the post office. They may not be going to the post office every single day. So, um, and they may maybe they haven't packed the item yet. So you've got to give them just like a little bit of time to pack up the item and and get it to the post office. You know, you can say, okay, when are you going to be able to ship this? But if that answer is two days. 
don't go bugging them the next day being like, where is my tracking number? You know, you have to like, okay, if they say they're going to ship it in two days, you can say, please send me the tracking number when you ship it. And then if you don't get the tracking number after two days, um, then, you know, maybe on the third day, you say, hey, did it ship? You know, but don't like, you just can't expect that the items are always going to ship the same day. Um, if you if someone says, okay, I've got this item for sale, you say, I'm going to take it. How much is it? They give you a total. You send them the money. Don't be asking them for a tracking number. Don't don't be demanding, rudely demanding a tracking number an hour later because they might be expecting to ship that the next day, and that's totally fine. You know, and sometimes a seller won't necessarily provide you a tracking number. They might say, okay, this is going out today. Thanks a lot. And if you don't really like need that tracking number, maybe just like wait a couple of days for the thing to arrive. You know, figure, okay, this person is on the other side of the country. Um, you know, he's going to ship it via mail service that I think is going to take three days to get here. Maybe wait three days and see if it shows up and it, and it probably will. You know, I don't, I don't always send a tracking number to every single person who buys stuff for me because it takes a little bit of time and, you know, sometimes I'm really busy. Um, if people ask specifically for a tracking number, I'm happy to give it to them. But, you know, I've had people kind of get upset and be like, I don't know, you said you were going to ship this, like, where's my tracking number? And it's like, oh, well, you know, that item is scheduled for delivery today. If you had just waited another hour before messaging me, like, we, this this little exchange could have been avoided. Yeah, I agree. Um, when I buy stuff, I usually don't ask for tracking number on, like, until, like, probably a good week or maybe two weeks after and it hasn't arrived yet. I mean, I'll, if I'm buying something that costs $2,000, I'm going to ask for the tracking number because it's oh, well, important yeah. to me when it arrives. But, but if I mean, I'm if buying, it's $25 something. Uh, yeah. You know, if I'm buying a scarf from somebody or a pair of gamashin <laughs> or something like that, right? Or You, you know, need I, to know I, where your scarf is, right? It's just like, I don't need this. It's not going to make or break me if this thing arrives on Thursday or Friday. And I'm not going to be waiting at my P.O. box you know, rubbing my hands together when that thing is supposed to arrive on Thursday morning, it's like, it just doesn't really matter, you know? Even something like, I don't know, I guess maybe the, this threshold is going to be different for everybody, but I don't know, like a $50 item, I just, it's not critical to me to get the tracking. It's definitely important to me to get the item. $50 is a significant amount of money for me, but watching that package come to my house is like not really a priority for me. Uh <laughs> At that price point, certainly. No, I agree. Another thing I wanted to discuss was the issue of sellers asking you to pay the postage and also uh, paying the PayPal fees. I've had some people message me being upset that they bought something on Facebook and the seller then said, you have to send the money as a gift or add 4% to cover the fees. And I tell them, you know, that's really reasonable you know this circles back around to my point like this is not ebay it's up to you what deal you want to make with the person and if the person wants to avoid paying the four percent fees they're within their rights to do that i usually incorporate the fees in the price and for a low price item i personally wouldn't think to ask people about paypal fees but if i'm selling something and it's like 250 dollars you know, 4% of that is like, it's a good meal, right? So 
PayPal takes a chunk out of that. I might mention it in the in the description that it's okay, you know you can pay as a gift or add four percent to cover the fees, and then it's up to the person buying it if they trust me, if they recognize my name, if they've done business with me before, if they've bought stuff before, if they're willing to trust me and send it, um, send the payment friends and family, in which case they have no recourse if I decide to just scam them and never ship it, or if they want to add the 4% to cover the fees so that they can get the item and have that purchase protection that they want, or just don't buy it. But a reality of dealing with private sellers is that if they want to ask you for the 4%, you know, there's no law against that when you're dealing with somebody who is basically posting a, like a classified ad on Facebook or something like that. Yeah, I uh, I totally agree with you. But I'd like to mention that uh, I did actually read up on PayPal's uh, terms of services. And they actually specifically say that you cannot ask a buyer for uh, to cover the fee. Sure. But you can ask him to cover uh, shipping and payment fees, which would include a fee, but you can't ask for the fee exclusively. Right. We're not... Like, I, I get it. Like, if you're doing business, if you're a business person who's selling significant amounts of money, who has a high volume of transaction using PayPal, you can't, at your store, or at your website, ask for this money because... Um, Look, PayPal will will deny you the right to use it. But if you're a hobbyist who's only selling one item a month, or maybe this is the only item that you really ever plan to sell, you know, it's kind of up to you what kind of terms that you want to set, what you're comfortable with, and how you want to do it. Uh, PayPal doesn't let you sell stuff that has, like, Nazi symbols on it. Anyway, that's also, like, in their terms of service. So if we're talking about... World War II German reenactment gear, like belt buckles and stuff. I mean, any any deal that you make on PayPal for that stuff is against their terms of service. So I, I would hate to see somebody like be a stickler about the exact PayPal terms of service when they're kind of violating it in their own way anyway by using <laughs> PayPal yeah. to buy the stuff. I just thought it was a good point to get out there. There's different types of buying stuff through the mail, right? You can buy stuff through the mail from Amazon or you can buy stuff through the mail from you know Richard Walters in Pascagoula you know and that's you're not going to have the exact same experience buying something from these big box places as you are buying it from some guy who maybe works he you know this guy who works 40 hours a week and is now um it's now up to him to to ship your item you know it's it's going to yeah. be a different experience but what should one do if a deal goes bad so that's like a worst case scenario right if if you think you are now in a deal that is going bad you know what do you do the first thing that i would just encourage people to do is to just try to exercise some patience you know uh i'm not saying like wait weeks for the seller to resolve something but like you know, if you feel like you didn't get an answer after an hour and that's a, a harbinger that, you know, this guy is um, going to rip you off, right? Like, <laughs> look, I've had this before where it's like, I see that you saw my message an hour ago and you didn't respond. And it's like, I was driving and I'm still driving, you know, and it's like, I saw your message, <laughs> but I don't have time to reply. What, what was the tracking number? And it's like, I'm going to be home in two hours and the tracking number is at my house. It's like an hour later. It's like, do you not have a tracking number? And it's like, I didn't want to bother 
to answer to give you an answer that I don't have an answer. You know, could you just wait a few more minutes? You know, for me to send you this thing. Um, I don't know. I think sometimes people get really like wound too tightly yeah. about this stuff, whether it's because they're super excited about the new item that they're getting, or you know, because they're nervous or whatever, because they, they don't usually do these kinds of deals. They don't feel comfortable buying stuff on Facebook with PayPal or whatever. It's just like, I'll give people a chance to like make you happy. Give them a little bit of time. Um, I've also seen where, you know, someone will say, uh, okay, this person like shipped it. I didn't get a tracking number and it should have been here yesterday and it didn't arrive here yesterday. So I am going to call this person out on Facebook for all to see. Oh, that is so annoying to see when people do that. I, I hate it. I hate it. The worst is on international transactions where it's like this seller shipped this item from Europe 10 days ago. It hasn't arrived and this person won't refund my payment. Before you even get involved in this, I'm going to tell like everybody listening here right now, in any circumstances, mail can take a little bit longer than like what the person at the post office is going to tell you that it, they're hoping to get it there by. Right? Everybody should kind of know this, but I feel like some people just don't. Like a delay of a couple of days on a parcel within the country in which you live, that's not unusual. And a delay of a stuff coming from Europe to the U.S., that can take three weeks easily. It can take six weeks on an, under normal circumstances. And especially right now with this pandemic going on and all of the delays that that has caused with shipping. Oh, yeah. I got something in the mail yesterday that had shipped from Russia more than four months ago. It used to take a month. So everything is delayed. And But, but do you think I was, like, hounding the seller? You know, <laughs> I don't know. Tracking shows it never left Russia. Like, where is it? I need my money back. Like, of course not. You know, I could, he did send me a tracking number. I did see that he had shipped it and that's, that's his responsibility is fulfilled at that point. And if there's delays because of a virus, it's not the seller's fault. I'm not going to try to make him feel like it's fault. You know, there's exactly. some risk. There is some risk in this. Talking about postage delays, uh, here in Norway, uh, the, uh, national mail service says that before you call the mail service, you should let it you should let 28 days pass uh sure. before even bothering because that's how long they say it should maximally maximally <laughs> and, and what's that within maximum. within norway yes within norway domestic shipping and right. i mean norway isn't a small country but it's not a big country either uh in terms of uh, uh geographic space but usually if you ship like the longest route usually takes three to four days even if it's supposed to take four days they still say let 28 days pass before you bother them i think that's reasonable you know i don't i'm not necessarily telling everybody that they should wait four weeks after a thing was supposed to arrive but um you know just be reasonable about it you know just to take it easy and understand that mail takes time and that sellers might take a day or two more to ship than than they initially thought you know and you can be polite and ask hey you know just wanted to confirm that this went out but some things just it just takes time and it just takes what it takes you know and you just have to be patient i do see people jumping the gun on naming and shaming sellers they think that they've been taken advantage of by a scammer and it's like oh sorry just so everyone knows the item did arrive you know 45 minutes later or whatever you know and it's just like you couldn't even check the mail that day i don't know i really i've seen this stuff it's real i have 
friends who have contacted me because they know I do a lot of online buying and selling and they say they bought from someone or somewhere and it hasn't arrived yet and they're like oh what should I do and I'm like okay uh, where did you order from and they're like no it's 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 within Norway and he's like okay um, was it supposed to arrive and they're like yeah it was supposed to arrive today I ordered it last Friday and if this is on a Tuesday it's like it's been two and a half working days for the mail take a chill pill anybody who buys stuff through mail order especially from a private seller there is an element of risk like you're probably getting a good deal on this item or it's an item that you really want that's not available elsewhere or maybe you would have bought it from a dealer right the fact that you bought it from a private seller means there was something special about this thing something special about this deal so you're getting something out of it in that way but you also have to just take the risk in a sense that like your item might wind up being delayed or like in some cases your item might might get lost in the mail you know that's a very rare thing that happens but you know like i was just saying this thing that i that i got yesterday that i bought four months ago if that thing had never arrived I just would have lost the money because I wasn't going to come back to the seller to ask him for that money. I could see on the tracking that he shipped it when he said he shipped it. It moved around within his country and then it fell off the tracking. And, you know, that's how it goes sometimes. You know what I mean? I'm, the seller the item is, the item, seller doesn't have the item anymore. The item's gone. So the seller has already lost something. And it's like in certain situations, I might ask the seller if he would split it with me or if he has something else that he could send me at a reduced price or something like that. But... You know, you don't have the, I don't think that the buyer in these situations has the ultimate right to be like, okay, it's now your responsibility to make hmm. sure that I get something out of this. You know, it's like, no, there's risk. There's risk that goes both ways here. But sadly, some buyers are like that. Sure. Um, which I, th I don't think that should be like acceptable. You know, if somebody, yeah. the way Asset, that this really. Don't be that guy. Yeah. Don't be that guy. Like. Your country's customs, like, might lose it. Like, your country's post office might lose it. Why would that be the seller's fault if that happened? It's not. You know, you've got to take responsibility and be like, okay, I rolled the dice on this. I ordered it through the mail. If, if you really, really need something to arrive, I think you can, like, pay a courier to actually pick it up at the, at the seller's house and get on a plane immediately and bring it to your house. You know, but you're going to pay for that. But yeah. if you're... If I'm buying something from Germany and the shipping cost is 10 euro, you know, I know that this thing is not being shipped with, you know, by a courier who's going to hand deliver it to my house. I know it's probably being shipped with the cheapest way, you know, which is probably going to be kind of a slow way and probably isn't going to come with insurance. You know, another thing, as far as I'm aware, the Warsaw Convention, which is like the laws about postal transactions between different countries limits the liability of a postal carrier to something that's like 50 bucks if something goes missing in an international transaction so as far as i'm aware i could be wrong about this but if i ship something to you Lasse, if i ship something from the united states to norway they'll let me insure it for 500 dollars. but if that item goes missing they only have to pay me like 50 bucks so you know, if I, if you then come back and say, well, Chris, I never got it and you need to give me $500, I just don't have that $500 item anymore and I don't have the money that I spent on shipping and it's not fair. It's not fair to me. Both sides have to understand that there is 
an element of risk and you just have to be reasonable and fair about it. Yeah. You know, when a deal goes wrong, obviously, if I if I bought something last week from uh, Joe Bob and suddenly today I'm seeing a whole bunch of posts from people saying, um, you know, I bought something last week from Joe Bob and I got an empty box in the mail. You know, when it becomes clear that this guy literally is just a scam artist or, you know, you can other people have been ripped off by this guy at the same time. It's like, okay, um, you've been taken advantage of. You might want to get the PayPal claim going, um, you know, or, or reach out to, to the scammer. What it maybe is his Facebook has disappeared because it was it was never it was a fake profile or whatever. These are things that have happened to people um, or you think you're going to get a tunic in the mail and you get a stuffed animal in the mail. Um, these are things that happen rarely, but they can happen and they have happened and they will happen again. Or, you know, let's say, uh, somebody is selling something and you buy it and then somebody else afterward pops up and says, uh, you can't be selling that item because I own that item and you stole that photograph from my website, right? Okay. That's a huge red flag. You've probably been ripped off by somebody selling something they don't own and it's time to, to take whatever recourse you can to get get the money back yeah and that's the perfect thing paying with paypal is that you have the security through paypal as long as you pay the fee if you're doing a deal with somebody that you don't know i don't send it as friends and family okay because if you send it as friends and family you have no recourse if it goes wrong you want that purchase protection send the money as goods and services you know if they're like okay well if you want to send it as goods and services uh you have to pay the fee then it's up to you either pay the fee or don't buy the thing and if a seller tells you, I absolutely won't take any payments as goods and services, friends and family only, that's like a big red flag and I would walk away from that deal. Yeah. There's same. no reason why a seller shouldn't accept a goods and services payment, especially if you're offering to pay the fee. If they're insisting on friends and family, it's probably there's probably something wrong here. Absolutely. Because then you just lose all your rights to the money, basically. It's just gone. It's like, it's like you mailed them cash in an envelope. And another thing I'll say that I think is an ethical point is, I don't know, unless this person is like a real scammer and there's something in your private messages that really proves that this person is totally dishonest, just like resist the urge to snapshot, to screenshot those private messages between you and the seller and post them. Uh, I don't, I basically don't ever post any private messages that anybody sends me, someone who sends me a private message should reasonably be able to expect that the private message will remain private. And I would just encourage, even outside of like buying and selling, like don't screenshot private messages and share them publicly. I think that's bad form. And even if, even if you've been wronged in some way, unless there's some real compelling reason, just keep the private messages to yourself. And, uh, you know, Make the make the call out post, do whatever you have to do, but but I wouldn't share public messages. I wouldn't share private messages in public unless it was like totally egregious and would help somebody somehow. If I did that, if it's in a group on Facebook or something, then contact the admin or moderator first before doing like the the uh, public posting of uh, how bad people are, like naming and shaming. Yeah, that's a good point because the the. Uh the person who is like the ad, the admins of the for sale group will probably know who like the the people are who are selling in there. A lot of times, it's a, there are certain types of people that like like to do wheeling and dealing. They like buy and sell a kit. You know, they they enjoy doing that kind of stuff. And uh, 
and so the the admins will know who that person is but um, look if that person is like brand new to the page and no one knows him the admin might might be able to tell you that too so the, the admin might have some information about the deal that you're in you know that that might help you decide what to do before you just make that public post because it really sucks to for people who are like sellers or buyers who unfairly are called out for something you know what i mean where um it turns out that it was just a slight misunderstanding or a postal delay that wasn't their fault and now everyone has read this person's name in some bad context and, and that sucks exactly i've seen them post private messages where it has the person's uh like address in it in certain situations and stuff and it's like almost like a form of doxing where it's like it's almost almost feels malicious. It's like I didn't get this item, and now I'm throwing a temper tantrum, and I'm just gonna harm you however I can. I'm gonna throw your address up on the internet for everyone to see, and and deny you any privacy on any level. And it's like totally unreasonable. Yeah. I guess the last the last thing I kind of wanted to go over today was like some common sense tips on how to avoid getting into a bad deal in the first place. Which obviously the big thing we already went over is just don't pay PayPal friends and family. Pay with the goods and services option. That way, if something goes wrong, you can be covered. You know, that's there are ways that people will abuse buyer protection, and I would encourage people not to do that. You know, be responsible about it. But if you pay with the goods and services option, uh, and then you never get the thing, and the, it turns out that the seller was uh, a fraud artist, you know, then you can get your money back through PayPal that way. Yeah. Another thing that I would caution people is like, look. When you're going into a deal like this, like look at the deal, look at the pictures, look at the seller, maybe look at his profile, see where he's located, you know, and ask yourself, is this real? Just because the seller is using a legitimate sales platform, whether it's a Facebook group that has a good reputation or um, an internet auction site, there is no way for the people who run those platforms to keep scammers out completely. You know, somebody can make a very realistic looking fake profile where they look like a, a World War II enthusiast and there's pictures on there and, and information about them and they can get into these groups and it can all be totally fake. Never just assume, okay, well, you know, I know the admins of this group do a good job in keeping scammers out. There's always a chance of a scammer to slip through. So... You know, be be suspicious when you go into a deal like this, you know, and, and do your due diligence. Look for red flags. A guy in my group was going to buy a, a rifle from someone on like Gunbroker or Auction Arms. The price was super low for the weapon. The seller said that he was in the United States, but was like using broken English. So that's a clue. He said his name was Robert Johnson or something, and he was from Pennsylvania, but his... Uh, his wording was was like somebody who was a had a very limited knowledge of English as a foreign language. So that's that's not really adding up, right? Uh, obviously, there are lots of people in America who are legitimate sellers who are, have an immigration background, speak different languages. Like that that alone is not a red flag. But if they're telling you that their name is is Robert Johnson and their dialogue sounds more like someone from the Indian subcontinent, you know that's that's a clue, right? Um, and the guy was saying, the reason why I'm selling it so cheap is because I need the money for a medical procedure, which is like, I think like a classic red flag type of a thing, because I don't know if there's like people who are really paying for surgery like up front, but like most of the time, that's not how it really works. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying yeah. that could never be the case, but it's like, 
if I have a medical procedure, like even if I don't have insurance, you like get a bill in the mail. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, just something fishy about it. Something fishy about it. It's a, a reason to be cautious. And then the guy said, you have to pay me with fr- with friends and family on PayPal. And it, and it's like the person sent me the messages. It's like, what do you think? And it's like, this is a scam. This is a scam. Big scam alert. You can ask around and ask people in your group or ask your friend network or ask people on messenger or you can ask the admin of the sales group and say does anybody know this guy you know i want to buy i want to buy a bunch of this guy's stuff i want to buy a couple of helmets and some some jackets and stuff i'm going to be spending a bunch of money with this guy does anybody actually know this guy and most often somebody that you know is going to say i can vouch for that guy you can even ask the guy, be like, oh, you're a reenactor? Like, what unit are you with? You know, and then maybe you know that unit or you know somebody. You could even ask the unit commander or a friend of yours who might be in that group, hey, do you know this guy? Oh, yeah, he reenacted with us for a few years. He, like, got a divorce. He's getting out of the hobby. And it's like, okay, so this is a legitimate sale. And if the answer comes back that nobody has ever talked to this guy and this guy can't give you the name of anybody that he ever knew who was a reenactor, then you better be careful doing that deal. Because reenactment isn't a very big hobby, right? It's a small world. It's a network of like-minded people. And like everybody kind of knows everybody through a few connections one way or another most of the time. Yeah. If this person just popped out, out of absolutely nowhere and they're selling the, a 20-year collection of reenactment gear, but nobody ever knew this person, then you, know, you just got to be careful. Red flag. And, and like, look, is it too good to be true? You know, the example that I gave earlier, the guy in my group who was going to maybe buy that rifle, like it was a, a G43 that had a scope on it. And I think the price was like $700 or something like that. And it's like, the scope is worth that. You know, and everybody knows that. <laughs> yeah. If this guy is on Gunbroker or Auction Arms or one of these kind of sort of specialized websites where he can see what stuff sells for, I mean, he knows this thing's worth a lot more than 700 bucks. If I had something like that in my hand, I could sell that thing in five minutes with a couple of phone calls for for two th- more than for $2,000, right? And that would be a great deal for somebody. Most of the people who have stuff like that, they know other people who collect stuff like that. They know where they bought it, right? I mean, a, a gun store is going to give you more than 700 bucks for that thing. So why is this thing so cheap? It's because they are hoping to catch a sucker, and that's why. And just don't be that sucker. And that's not to say that you can't get unbelievable deals. I've bought original stuff that was valuable that I bought as reproduction stuff because the person didn't know what they had. I've bought, I've had people offer stuff for me for super cheap because they just, they, they don't really care about the money, you know, and they, they just want the thing out of the house and it, they will be satisfied that it goes to a good home. Certain people, right, like certain things, some things that I collect, people will reach out to me and they say, hey, you know, uh, I know that you collect this. I happen to get this for free. I know it's worth $100, but look, I didn't. I don't really have any money in this and I know that you would really like to have this, so I'd sell it to you for 40 bucks. You know, I've, I've gotten stuff that way. Um, so you can get deals like that, but some stranger offering a super valuable helmet for you know, for $100, it's like, yeah. this is a scam. Hitler's uniform, $20. 
And then when we get into, yeah, totally. Like when we get into the collecting sphere, like even more so because that area, there's a whole other set of like, you know, there is a lot of fake stuff out there. There's a lot of misrepresented stuff out there. So you really have to like do your homework on that kind of stuff. But generally speaking, if you buy something that's advertised as like uh, an Elsinau M43 cap, right? That's on the secondary market. You know, you're not going to get like a fake Elsinau M43 cap. It's not going to be like a lesser cap that was misrepresented but with original stuff there's that kind of thing happens all the time that's one good thing with uh, the reenactment uh, selling community there's a there is a lot of honesty out there and there's there's not much room for fraud um you know like what are you gonna how are you gonna really rip people off the way that people get ripped off is they they buy stuff and it never arrives you know if you're if you're smart about it you can be pretty safe and I have bought stuff on eBay that never arrived. You know, I bought I bought stuff from other collectors, even on Facebook collection stuff that didn't arrive. But uh, that's in that's in like thousands of, of packages over time. You know, the overwhelming vast majority of stuff that I bought from reenactors has arrived, and um, I've sold th- probably thousands of things, hundreds of things certainly, um, and the people were happy to get the stuff. So. That is the ethics of buying and selling uh, reenactment stuff. I think we covered it well. Yeah, I hope people have found this helpful. I would love to hear feedback from you guys, too. If there's stuff that we forgot or missed, you can uh, reach out to me or post it on Sold Out and Forum or on the Facebook page or whatever. Yeah, and the next episode will be up on September 24th. And that's going to be on uh, downtime, uh, stuff you can do uh, at events uh, or displays uh, between between stuff happening. I'm super excited about that because uh, that is the the downtime between like the battles or whatever is like my favorite time uh, to do period correct stuff at reenactments. <laughs> and I remember when I was a new reenactor, I was totally like lost about it where it's like if there wasn't if my squad leader wasn't uh, yelling in my face for me to advance with the machine gun or whatever, I didn't know what I was supposed to do, you know. But over time, um, I, reading memoirs and stuff, learning about what soldiers really did and their kind of off-duty downtime, and there's a lot of stuff that is uh, really fun and really easy to recreate in a realistic way. So it'll be a cool episode to talk about that. Absolutely. And you as a listener can also... Uh, reach out to us on Soldaten Forum, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, and uh, come with what you do in downtime in at events. Oh, yeah. I would love to hear about it in advance. Uh, give us some more ideas for stuff to talk about. Exactly. All right, Lassa, it has been great talking to you. To everybody out there, please stay safe and healthy, and uh, I will see you in the field. <laughs> I'll see you in the field, Chris. Thanks again to Mike aka Retroman, for editing this podcast.